We're thankful for this beautiful weather that you've gifted us with. We're thankful that we could gather here today. Many, many brothers and sisters don't have that privilege around the world. They have to meet in hiding, underground services, Lord, in fear of persecution and arrest. Lord, let us not take this lightly, this time that we can gather together. We humbly come before you to glean from your word. Lord, we ask that you speak to our hearts today, instruct us, guide us, and equip us for the week ahead. Lord, because you're already at the end of the week, you already know how it looks. Lord, we're asking that you guide us and be a lamp unto our feet. We're lifting up the team in Mexico right now, Lord. We ask that you strengthen them, you bless their time, and uh, that they come home safely, Lord, built up and ready to pour out what they've learned. Jesus, in your name we pray, amen. So if you guys want to hop in the book of Acts, I have a lot of water. That's good. How's that? Much better. Thank you. See, I already got shocked once. <laughs> These sound guys are tough. Okay, guys, so here's a little bit of uh, some facts. Facts about the book of Acts. We're going to be rhyming a lot today. Um, we're going to be doing the book of Acts chapters 1 and 2. Some of the areas we're going to have to kind of run through to get to uh, some of the meat and potatoes, if you will. The book of Acts is written by Luke, who also wrote the gospel named, you guessed it, Luke. Um, interesting, he is a Gentile. He is a Greek. Like most of the books in the Bible are written by Jewish folks. He is not. He's a Gentile. He's also a physician. And the book of Acts is written to or addressed to Theophilus. If you ever ate any of my home-cooked breakfast, it's also Theophilus. That's my, only dad, that's my only dad joke for the day. Okay. Okay. Um, another fact. In the four Gospels, the word love is used over a hundred times. In the book of Acts, it's used zero. However, power is used 122 times. The dunamis power, the Greek word dunamis, where we get dynamo and dynamite from. Holy Spirit is used 56 times. So Jesus, being present with us in the flesh, the operative word is love. It's used over 100 times. I think almost 122 times, but it's around there. When Jesus gives us his Holy Spirit, the operative word becomes power, dynamo, dynamite. And when you think of dynamite, think of what can be broken through with dynamite. When you look around at the roadways, the mountains, the hills, the rocks that have been torn down by dynamite, the strongholds that have been broken, to build dams, you use dynamite. To make a way where there is no other way, you use dynamite. So that's the operative word that we're going to be talking about in the book of Acts is dunamis, power, Holy Spirit. Acts is marking the end of the Gospels, the earthly ministry of Christ, and Acts is starting the spiritual ministry of Christ through his Holy Spirit, through the apostles. All right, so let's jump in here real quick. Follow along if you've got your Bibles. I hope you do. Verse 1, the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach 
until the day in which he was taken up, after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles, whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Remember that 40 days. It's going to come back up a few times. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or season, which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses. Pause right there for a second. If you look up that word usage, witnesses, in the original Greek, how it was written, the word is martus. That is where we get the word martyr, being prepared to die. So Jesus is saying, you shall be a witness, a martyr, prepared to die to me in Jerusalem and for me, and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now pause right there. You don't have to jump there. I will. In the end of Matthew, this is Matthew's account of the same thing. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That sentence right there is going to carry most of these men that are listening to this to death. Many of them are tortured, they're boiled alive, they're skinned, they're filleted, they're hung, their heads are chopped off, they're tortured, stoned, beaten to death. But that one sentence, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That promise carries them through, and it carries us through, whatever we're challenged with. And it's just interesting, in the world we live in today, if you walk through the Christian book section at Barnes & Noble, it's not a lot about being martyred. It's not a lot of death to yourself. You don't see, uh, be the best martyr now. You see, it's your best life now. How to live your best life now. How to be, how to be the best you. You don't see, you know, death to yourself. You don't see the chronicles of dying to oneself daily, taking up the cross and dying. So we have little things upside down and backwards in our generation today, I think. But Jesus tells them, you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. Verse 8, be ready to be a martyr for me. And not like what some religions have created martyrs to be in today's day and age, where they go and blow people up and they consider themselves to be holy and to be martyrs. No, Christ says to be willing to death to yourself, take up your cross, and preach the good news around the world, which may lead to death. Okay? So now, let's pick up in 9. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up in a cloud and received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Remember, there were also two angels in white apparel at the tomb when they peered in the tomb. 
there were two. And here there are two here when he gets taken up in the cloud. And they say, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing into the heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go. So on his return, he's going to come in the clouds, it says. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, Judas, the son of James, not the other Judas. These all continued with one accord in prayer, supplications with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus. So this is the original church gathered together behind closed doors in an upper room in Jerusalem, totaling around 120 people. That was the original church. Why are they hiding in an upper room? Romans are still scouring the streets, looking for these so-called followers of Christ. It is still a real possibility that they will be arrested, tortured, and crucified like their, uh, their, uh, their rabbi was, their teacher was. So they still had fear. And so often when we are in a vacuum without direction, we default to fear and anxiety creeps in. Where do we find them? They're together. They're in one accord. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, is still there. This is the last time in the Bible that you see her mentioned. Interesting to note. So in verse 15 to 26, we see them in the waiting period. Okay? And this is all going to make sense a little farther on as I continue, but bear with me. We've got to get through a lot of this. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of them was about 120. And he said, men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle of all his entrails, gushed out, and it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem, so that the field is called in their own language, Akel Dama, that is the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate, let no one live in it, and let another take his office. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed to Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and they said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in the ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go into his own place. And they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So here's an interesting thing, and this is the last time you see this in the Bible. Again, you see them flipping a coin. You see him casting lots. You see them, well, we don't know what to do. We're going to roll the dice. We're going to get the magic eight ball, right? You've seen those back in the 70s, if any of you are that old. Um, 
and you'd flip it over and you'd see what it would come up. You'd flip a coin, heads or tails. They're deciding between Justice, a fellow named Justice, and Matthias. Both seem to be noble, Jesus-loving followers because they're being, you know, the decision is coming down to these two men. Who's going to replace Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus? What they didn't do is have the Holy Spirit indwelling in them yet to confer with the Holy Spirit. They made the original church ministry decision based off a flip of a coin. That's pretty interesting. You never see Matthias or Justice again in the Bible. You have to jump outside of church history. And For instance, Eusebius, who chronicles the first hundred years of the early church, to find out that they both got martyred. They were both preaching the gospel, and they went out but they were both martyred. Interesting to know that these weren't really the chosen replacement for Judas. I contend that Saul of Tarsus was. Um, Chapter 9, on the Damascus Road, God chooses his replacement for Judas, a man named Paul. From Saul to Paul, on the Damascus Road, Jesus makes his choice known. They were in the waiting period, the early church, locked in the doors in the upper room, waiting, anxiety, fear. Who's going to replace Judas? Let's flip a coin. Let's cast lots. We pick Matthias. God had a different choice. I, I think of that waiting period, which was actually 10 days when they're locked away. How often do we find ourselves in that time of anxiety, that fear, That wait, where the Lord says, just wait until I give you an answer. And we, like the children of Israel wandering in the desert, usually wait about a day and we're picking up the phone. Hey, what would you do? What would you do? What would I do with this? Um, We're calling our friends. We're talking to people. What should I do? I'm going crazy here. And the Lord just says, wait. My plans are different than your plans. My plans are higher than your plans. I want you to prosper. Just wait. So, now we're at chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. So to have God's um, promise be fulfilled, the believers had to be together. They had to be one accord. They had to be in prayer, singing the psalms, you know, singing worship, if you will, and praying And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. One sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So what appears over each believer there is like this flame that's over them. Now, we think of the Israelites as they're leaving Egypt. There's the cloud by day, and there's the flame, the fire by night. You remember Moses, the burning bush, the flame. God spoke out of that bush that did not burn away, but just maintained its fire. And it was the day of Pentecost. Well, why the day of Pentecost? Early on in my walk with the Lord... I assumed Pentecost was named Pentecost because that's the day that the Holy Spirit descended on the believers. Well, 
I had to study more to figure out why. Three main feasts that are in this time period that we're looking at. We all know Passover. We talked about it just last week. Passover is for the lamb going up on the lentils, the side post, uh, from then the angel of death passed through Egypt. That's Passover, where it was a pure, unblemished lamb had to be sacrificed. Ergo, Christ, being perfect, being sacrificed for our sins to cover us from death. Well, right after Passover comes in the Feast of First Fruits. And that's the first portion of the harvest taken to the temple. So the very first, it's almost like a tithe of the crops. When that first crop comes up, you take it up out of the ground, you go to the temple, and you present it to the high priests. So you remember, Passover is unleavened bread as well, right? If you guys had a Passover meal, you had unleavened bread. Why? Because they didn't have time to allow the yeast to rise. It symbolizes them rushing out of Egypt. So first fruits also lines up with the exact day that Christ came out of the tomb. First fruits. He was the first fruit from the new crop of the harvest to come. From death to life, he was that first fruit. Paul makes reference to him again, that Christ is the first fruit of the harvest. And that's the resurrection. So Passover, crucifixion, first fruits is a resurrection. And then there's Shavuot. That's the Hebrew word, Shavuot, which is also the Feast of Weeks, or which is also Pentecost. Now, if you guys know your Greek numbers, Penta means five. Pentecost is 50. Okay? So, Pentecost, Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, is celebrated seven Sabbaths from Passover, plus one day, which equals Penta, 50. So, Shavuot celebrates what is in Hebrew, Matan Torah, the giving of the law. Now, if you're new to church today, or if you forgot, Moses is up on Mount Sinai for 40 days. So a lot of these things we see are very symbolic, and God uses chronological order to present his purpose. So Moses, Moses is up on Mount Sinai for 40 days. He is in God's presence. The cloud has descended. There's thundering taking place. And he's getting the Ten Commandments. And he hears what sounds like the sound of war at the base of the mountain. It's revelry taking place. He's getting the Ten Commandments from God. And the people at the base of the mountain, they're assuming that Moses has either forgotten about them because he's been up there for 40 days, or Moses has left the building neither of which were true. But what do they do? They default to their own ways. We as humans want to worship something. Um, you check today most people's social medias, you know who they worship because the majority of their photos are themselves, right? The selfie. I was talking to, earlier to somebody today. 30 years ago, you never heard of the word selfie, right? Now it's a normal part of our nomenclature. So Moses is up on the mountain. Aaron, his brother, is left at the base of the mountain. Aaron is given a chance to babysit. Well, it goes a little sideways. They're taking off their earrings, they're taking off their bracelets, their jewelry, they're giving it to Aaron, who used to be a goldsmith, coppersmith, and he makes them a golden calf. We know the story, right? They're all dancing around the golden calf. They're making strange noises. 
And if you want, you can flip to Exodus 32. If not, that's okay. I'll read that too. So they're dancing around, behaving very badly. Um, Aaron, he's told to babysit, and things have gone drastically sideways. So if we pick up chapter 32, verse 25. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them, to their shame among their enemies. When Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves to him. That he said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, let every man put his sword on his side, go in and out from the entrance to entrance throughout the camp. Let every man kill his brother and every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. So this part right here is important, guys. Verse 28, so the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and about 3,000 men fell, were killed that day. Why? Because they defaulted to their flesh. They defaulted to what they knew. They wanted something to worship. They had Moses on the mountain. They had already been led out of Egypt, they have seen miracle after miracle. They have seen plagues descend. They have seen waters divided. And what do they do in their spare time? Let's build something to worship. It was 40 days of wait. And that's what they defaulted to. 3,000 people were killed that day. And if you jump down to 33, it, the Lord says to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. You see, the law was never meant to save. The law that came down that mountain, it's like going to the doctor and getting a blood test. My blood test isn't going to heal me, but it's going to point me to a healer. It's going to point me to what I need. The law was meant to point you to the need of a savior. The law was never meant to save. So on the day of Shavuot, Matan Torah, they're celebrating the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost in Greek. They're celebrating this event. When Moses comes down with the law, Moses is given the law. What happens at the base of the mountain? 3,000 people killed. The, the, the people of Levi go to Moses and carry out this deed. Interesting to note that the Levites are the priests in the Jewish tradition. So it was actually the priests who have to go and kill 3,000 people that day. So we have these feasts we're talking about, Passover, Shavuot and Pentecost. Now, when you're in Exodus right there, jump over to um, 23. I don't want to have to jump in too much. Exodus 23, um, 14, 19, 14 to 19. So, three annual feasts. Three times you shall keep a feast to me in the year. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. You shall eat unleavened bread seven days as I commanded you at the time appointed in the month of Abib. For in it you came out of Egypt. None shall be appearing before me empty. Verse 16, and the feast of harvest, the first fruits of your labor, 
When you have sown in the field and the feast of ingathering at the end of the year, when you have gathered in the fruit of your labors from the field. Three times in the year, your males shall appear before the Lord, your God. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifices with leaven, bread, nor the fat of my sacrifice. Verse 19, the first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring. Now, if you're right there, if you could jump to Leviticus 23.16. We're really taking a dance through the Old Testament. Leviticus 23.16. And this sets up the count for Pentecost. Count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, then you shall offer a new grain offering. So on the day of Pentecost, there's going to be a new grain offering. Continue to read. You shall bring from your dwellings two wave loaves of two-tenths of an ephah. They shall be a fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits to the Lord. Now, if you guys remember, leaven generally throughout the Bible represents sin. So now, on Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, you're baking bread to offer to the temple with leaven. You're baking bread, which represents sin. So it's a little different from Passover, which is unleavened bread. And then you don't have to, but I'm going to jump to Deuteronomy 16. I don't mean to sound like a game show host. But Deuteronomy 16, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 16, verse 16. Three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast... Where did I lose my spot? And at the Feast of Tabernacles, and they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. So you see, three times a year, they're supposed to present themselves in Jerusalem, not empty-handed, to conduct the feasts. So we have unleavened bread for Passover, then we have first fruits, and then we have the Feast of Weeks Shavuot with leavened bread. Okay, so let me jump back into Acts. So Pentecost is lining up with the baking of leaven. And if we jump back to four, and they begin, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterances. I don't know if any of you have ever been to a foreign land where you're kind of outnumbered by English-speaking individuals. But when you come across someone who speaks your language, there is a comfort found. You have no idea who this person is. He's a complete stranger. You look different than he does. But as soon as he speaks your language, there's comfort. And you don't even know what you're going to talk about. You're just like, hey, you speak English too? Yeah, cool. Um, we had that account when we were in South Sudan in the village market. I remember my father-in-law who's here. He was with me. And this fella comes walking down, and we don't, and most of it's Arabic, what they're speaking, and I don't speak Arabic. And um, these two UN soldiers come walking down. And he's like, hey, you guys speak English? And we're like, yeah, you do? Yeah, cool. 
I still remember his name, Magnus. It had that much of an impact on me that I, I had such comfort there having someone speak my language. So there's people outside, and they hear their languages being spoken inside. So if we keep reading here, and there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. And then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all those who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of them in our own language in which we were born? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamian dwellers, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya, joining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews, proselytes, the Cretans. Those are kind of poor people that are called Cretans. I just want to point that out. Cretans. And Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongue and the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? And now jump to verse 13. What do they automatically do? Others mock them, saying they're full of new wine. They're drunk. Blame it on the booze. But the Holy Spirit was pouring into all these different languages into these people so the people outside could hear in their own language, in the comfort of their heart and their mind, they could hear the good news of what Jesus was doing in their language. Immediately they had a comfort in their heart and their ear was tuned in. If I started speaking another language right now, most of you would tune me out and Kevin would shock me. But you have comfort because you know what I'm saying. So why were there so many people in the streets? Well, the three feasts are taking place, right? Passover, first fruits, and Shavuot. All the males need to be presented to Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is hopping and happening. We've got people from Greek areas. We've got people from Libya, Cyrene, Arab, Cretans, all over the place. The Medes, the Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia. All these different people are influxing into the city, and they hear the good news and the works of God in their language. Immediately, their ears are tuned in and their hearts are tuned in to what they are saying. That's the Holy Spirit. And that's God working right there. So to, to carry on with time, we're going to go through what Peter does. Peter, who just got up, rolled the dice, flipped the coin. Peter, who got out of the boat, started to sink. Peter who, if you remember, Jesus said, get behind me. Whoa. Peter, who cuts ears off. Peter, who denies Christ. Here's Peter. And to be honest, aren't we all a little like Peter? It's easy to judge Peter. Peter stood up and got out of the boat. Everybody else sat in the boat. It's easy to, wow, Peter, how'd you slice that guy's ear off? How many times have you used the sword of God's word to cut somebody's ear off and immediately turn them off to what you have to say? How many times have you denied Christ? I think we could all raise our hand. I love Peter, and I'm thankful for Peter. So Peter stands up. Now, having the Holy Spirit dwell within him, look what happens. Peter, standing up with the 11, verse 14, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words, for these are not drunk. As you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. 
And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons, your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servant and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire, vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, you have crucified and you put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it, for David says concerning, now they can see the temple that David built and his son. I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried. And in his tomb is with us to this day. They were nearby the tomb. Pause right there. They were only a few hundred yards from the tomb of David. Therefore, being a prophet, knowing what God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this, which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heavens, but he said himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies my footstool. So Peter's coming out here giving the first sermon of the newly born church. So there were 120 in the morning. The Holy Spirit touches down, fills them up. The people in the streets are hearing the gospel. They're hearing the good works of God in their own language. Peter gives a sermon referencing back to the prophecies pointing to Jesus, referencing prophecies to the resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit. 36, therefore let all the house of Israel know Assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brothers, brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins 
and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Immediately they're cut to the heart. That was the Holy Spirit working in their hearts. And immediately their first response was, what do we do? We're feeling this cut in our heart, Peter, to the apostles. What do we do? He says, repent, be baptized, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Pretty simple. That call still goes out to us today. Every day, don't we repent? Every day we ask for the gift and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. (sighs) Powerful stuff, guys. Verse 40, though. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 were saved. 3,000 souls were added to them. I don't know about you guys, but when I read that, man, my heart just skips a beat. Moses came down from the mountain with the law and 3,000 were killed. Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes down and 3,000 are saved. That same Holy Spirit that was there at Pentecost coming forth, laying down like flames upon the people in the upper room in their prayer so that others in different languages could hear the good news of Jesus Christ and his resurrection and how to be saved is still working today. And if you are saved, if you've accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, he wants to give you that gift of that Holy Spirit. That gift of the Holy Spirit is in the indwelling of his spirit in you. There is no more a temple that you have to go to to meet with God. He wants to meet inside of you. And that's pretty powerful, that Jesus would reference that, and that God's record would show that 3,000 people died because of the law, 3,000 that were saved because of the Spirit. It's pretty powerful, guys. The sound still goes out today. And I just want to point out that this is Peter. This is Peter giving this sermon that he was restored on the beach after he went fishing. And he's the guy that's used. Broken people are used every single day. You're looking at a broken person. Broken people can be restored. Broken people will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus Christ will use that broken person to relate to other broken people. Amen? So let's just continue here, guys. I'm getting long-winded. I just want to point out that Moses saw the crooked generation being birthed at the base of a hill. And do we not find ourselves today in a crooked, perverse generation? You turn on the news, it makes you sad. You have to shut off most commercials, what you see being advertised. We live in that same perverse, crooked fallen generation, but we are called out. We are called to be separate from it. And you will be separate if you have the filling of the Holy Spirit. I I was looking at a lantern. I don't know if anybody knows that I like lanterns. And there are a few other people in this church that like lanterns too. Um, But I love to restore a lantern. And it's just a piece of tin and metal and it's old. And I can put oil in it And it looks really cool still, but it's just a piece of metal. 
But it's not until that flame goes into that and touches to that wick that ignites the oil that it gives off a glow. Until that flame goes into that lantern, it's nothing more than just a piece of furniture hanging in my basement. And we're kind of like that. We can be a piece of furniture just sitting there. We look good on the outside, but until that fire comes in, until that flame comes in, that Holy Spirit comes in, we're not going to be illuminating to other people. We're not going to help light the path if they're in the darkness. We're going to be another piece of furniture. And God doesn't want us to be on a shelf. He doesn't want us hanging on a wall. He wants us to be of use in this dark world, in this perverse and crooked generation that we find ourselves, to light the way, to light others, to show others the light and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Um, so you're all kind of lanterns. That's your takeaway today. So um, they, were, they have received 3,000 people are saved, verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done throughout the, through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone in need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking of bread, from house to house they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people that the Lord added to the church daily, those who were being saved. So this marks at verse 40 down to 47, the beginning of the church age, as we call it, as it's known to be. How does the church age start? The giving of the Holy Spirit. So we know the truth of Jesus, that he was crucified, that he was resurrected, that he ascended. He promised that he was going to send a helper, part of the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He sent that Holy Spirit as a gift to us. And just remember 2 Corinthians 10, 4, where Paul reminds us that our weapons are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. How do we fight that battle? Our weapons are not carnal. Our weapons are in the spiritual realm. Prayer, being in tune with the Holy Spirit. And remembering that that same call goes out today. What can you do to be saved? If you're not saved, what can you do to be saved? You can repent, you can be baptized, and you can be filled with the Holy Spirit, and you can be separated from this crooked and perverse generation. If you're here today and you have not accepted Jesus, if you've been saved for years, but you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit that dwells within this earthen vessel that's broken, made of clay, I challenge you and I encourage you to make that decision before you go out those doors because tomorrow is not guaranteed to any one of you. We all have lost people out of the blue. Make that decision today. Make him your Lord and your Savior. If you feel that, that cut in your heart like we just read about, when the people on the outside had that cut from the Holy Spirit, that was a nudge from the Holy Spirit saying, hey, I'm here. I'm your Savior. You need me. And I can guarantee you that 
Life will not get better. It's not your best life now. But if you get saved and you accept Jesus, this is the worst it's going to get because it's only going to get better. And all of these men that testified to this testified to the same truth as they were being tortured. I've said it burned, ripped apart, filleted. That's how true it is, guys. That it impacted their lives so much that they went from an upper room locked away in fear of people in the streets, the Holy Spirit touched down, and then they went out boldly. Peter went out boldly to the public square to preach the first sermon of Jesus Christ. So if you have that pressing today, that nudge, that cut in your heart, like it says in verse 37, turn to him, receive his gift, and be a witness for Jesus Christ in your homes, in your family, in your work, in your neighborhood, to the ends of the earth. So let's pray. Uh, I think it was right on time. And uh, let's pray and just give this time back over to the Lord and, and then worship. Lord, we thank you for this time together. Lord, light the fire in our hearts. Ignite that call within our hearts, Lord. We want to be living sacrifices for you, as you said in the Great Commission, to the, all the ends of the earth, Lord. But it starts in our own heart, in our own home, in our own backyard, Lord. We ask that you give us the strength to carry on. We're going to continue to look up, Lord, because we know the days are growing darker, and we know, as you promised, you're coming back just like you went up, Lord. You ascended to the clouds, and you're going to return in the clouds, Lord. As these days grow darker and this generation becomes more crooked and perverse, Lord, we ask that you strengthen our hearts, strengthen our knees to stand when we need to stand and when our knees need to bend and hit the ground to offer ourselves to you. We lift up this day to you, Father. We ask that you give us the strength and the dunamis, Holy Spirit, power to carry through the week, Lord. In your precious name we pray, amen.